one thing that I like recognizing in all areas of life, but specifically with this topic, is the inherent existence of trade-offs. And I think that we live with the day-to-day belief that trade-offs don't exist. Hi, friend. Welcome to Gather and Growth, a show created for passionate, growth-focused, rural women like you. From mindset work and building strong habits to exploring the unique joys and challenges of living rural, this is a show to leave you feeling joyful, inspired, and a little less alone. Together, we're on a journey of reaching for the most confident, healthy, and authentic version of ourselves, and I'm forever grateful to have you by my side. Whether you're currently running on a back road, shuffling kids to town, hopping along for a tractor ride, or three loads deep into folding laundry, grab yourself a nice coffee and let's dive in. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Gather and Growth. Today, I am joined by Jade Boyd, who is, first of all, a wealth of knowledge. Her brain fascinates me because it is so different from mine. And that is why she is so good at what she does. She is someone that I have been working with this year as a business coach and among many other things, just her level of insight and expertise and her ability to solve problems in such a unique way is just mega inspiring. And I'm so pumped to bring her onto the show and talk about all things productivity, getting stuff done, accomplishing goals above and beyond. So Jade, welcome to Gather and Growth. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And I love listening to your episodes and all of your conversations, especially the ones that hint on productivity. So this is going to be really fun. I can't wait. So for someone who's getting to know you for the first time, can you give us a little context of who you are, where you're at, and honestly, what brought you here today? Yeah. So like most people who own a business, I do not have a cut and clean trajectory into business ownership, but that Mm -hmm. is what I do today. I am a business and productivity coach for business owners. And I mostly focus on helping service providers, creative business owners, and business owners who want to scale, who ultimately realize that in order to make more time and work less, they need to figure out how to do something different. Mm -hmm. And I actually got here after starting a business that was not aligned to my strengths. I have always loved business, marketing, entrepreneurship, did that for undergrad. Then I got my MBA and ultimately realized that I was staring down this cold, dark tunnel of a corporate career. And it looked awful to me. And so ultimately decided, I don't care how hard this is. I'm going to start a business, whatever it takes. And ended up starting with photography because that was the easiest business idea on my list to start with and did that for a few years. Ultimately realizing that people started asking me for help on the business side of things. And that lit me up and excited me and was so much easier for me than the creative side of my photography business. And so ultimately pivoted into doing that. And I've been doing it for about two years now and just absolutely loving it. I live here with my husband, Caleb, in Iowa City. We are DIY home renovators. So every time on camera, I feel like something is different about my house. I'm in a different place. My office is constantly moving. I'm a plant mom. I have a lot of plant babies and really enjoy that as a hobby. And I also love reading. There's like a huge stack of books behind me. And that's what I spend most of my time doing. And I don't feel like we've even talked about our mutual love of books up until this point, but we'll have to save that conversation for another day. Yeah, 
for sure. I might mention some on this episode too. Oh, please do. But no, I don't think I realized that you really started entrepreneurship from the get-go. That was your trajectory from the beginning. Yeah. So there's a story behind that actually in grad school and MBA programs. Typically, if you're doing a full-time program, it's two years. And then in the summer in between your first and second year, you get some sort of internship to get experience in whatever field you think you want to go into. And I was lucky enough to be placed as a business consultant for Grand Canyon National Park, which is just the craziest summer experience that I have ever had. And after going through that summer, I realized that this is possible for me. I had that aha moment on like, I'm getting paid well to do this job Mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel like work. And so if this is possible for me, why would I accept any of these job descriptions that I'm reading that just feel horrible, that feel like a lot of work and soul sucking work that I had already left a job to go back to grad school to get out of. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was my, my push just believing and like Mm -hmm. experiencing that something different was actually possible for me. Yeah. I love that you also mentioned that your first business was something like, or I guess it was like your point of entry of like, oh, I'm, I like photography. I could be a photographer. And then how that evolved into something totally different, which Mm -hmm. I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to, but even within the career space is like what you think that you're going to start doing and then giving yourself permission to transition out of that. Like at what point did you start to realize, oh, there's a pivot that needs to be made here? And how did you like even make that change or cultivate the confidence to kind of veer in a totally different direction than what you had originally set out to do? Yeah, great question. So I think when you're starting something new, it's always hard in the beginning. And for me, it was difficult to recognize what about this is just me learning how to do something for the first time. And what Mm. part of this is me trying to fit myself into a box that I was never made to fit into. And that took me a long time to realize. And I kept thinking and I kept seeing that every session got easier. And after a year, I niched down into brand photography. So I was only working with business owners And that felt a lot better. That felt a lot more exciting. And so it did gradually get better. But there was a point when I realized that even like I'm not feeling that much better about this. I'm not getting more excited to show up. I hate it when I get new leads. Like that should not be happening. I should be excited when people are wanting to pay me thousands of dollars to take photos for them. And I wasn't. And ultimately, I had a conversation with one of my friends who's a strengths-based coach Mm-hmm. And she just kind of pushed me a little bit and was like, hey, why aren't you leaning into these things that are feeling really easy for you? Why not go all in on something that you're naturally good at? Like if people are already asking you for help on systems and strategy, and I did start taking on random projects as people would ask. Yeah, she just gave me a little bit of a push and it was super scary. And I would say for most people, I would not recommend like, okay, peace. I'm now doing this other thing, but I just reached the point in my business where I couldn't do it anymore. And Mm -hmm. I had the flexibility and the freedom at the time to make that hard pivot and start over again. And so ultimately I made the leap and I definitely do not regret it, but I won't say that it was easy. Yeah. But ultimately I feel like that is at least from my perspective, a lot of what you help people with is what's not working in your business. Let's actually dig in and figure out why 
and either put systems in place to create a path of less resistance or maybe what does pivot and creating a totally different direction look like? Like how does your experience guide how you now help clients through their journeys? Yeah, I think through that experience, I learned that the standard definition of productivity is not good enough for measuring what you should be investing your time and energy in, especially as a business owner. Because if you look at the bottom line at that point, I was like, okay, if 80% of your profits comes from 20% of your services, you need to double down on what's making money. Well, 80% of my profit is coming from photography. But that was not a good decision for me because there's that second dimension of being productive that is actually doing things that feel easy to you so that you can get better results for less effort. And so leaning into something that you hate doing or that you're bad at, I was setting myself up for failure. And I wouldn't even say that I was a failure as a photographer. I was like, quote unquote, successful by standard definitions. But I always felt like a failure because I wasn't using my strengths. I wasn't leaning into what I was actually passionate about. I wasn't excited to show up for work every day. Mm. And unwittingly, I'd kind of created the same situation for myself that I was desperately trying to escape before, you know, going back to grad school and even during grad school. So I talk about measuring productivity in three measures. The first is basically how much you're able to get done. So Some semblance of it is how efficient are you? Are you wasting a bunch of time getting things done? Does it take you 10 hours to cross off a task? Like, okay, that's one dimension of productivity. And then the second one is what are the results that you're getting? So you can cross Mm. off a whole bunch of tasks on your to-do list and not really get yourself anywhere. So part of it's measured in results. And then the third part of it is like that significance factor. Are you doing something that's worth doing? Did you spend the last five years making a lot of money, but feel empty and like you weren't successful at the end of it, like does what you're doing and what you're accomplishing actually matter to you? And so on those three points, I was hitting the first two, but definitely not that third one. Yeah. Okay. There's so many pieces of this I want to unpack, but first for someone who's listening, that's like, yeah, I kind of low key hate showing up for whether it's career or business or whatever, insert whatever role you currently have, but I don't know what the opposite of that looks like. Like, how do Mm -hmm. I even turn inward to figure out what I should be doing? Like, how would you help someone navigate that situation? Yeah. One of my favorite frameworks for this is the Ikigai framework. It's like a Japanese framework on purpose. And Mm -hmm. they clarify that your purpose is not a destination. It's not like setting a goal. It's a direction to head. And I think that a lot of times people wait to know exactly what they should be doing instead of heading a direction. Like what I said, I graduated grad school and knew that I didn't want to go the corporate route. I knew I wanted to start a business. It was a direction. I had no idea what that was going to look like. And there is no way that I would have started a business coaching business (laughs) straight out of grad school because there's one thing to know the head knowledge. There's a whole different thing to know what it actually takes to be an entrepreneur. And so... Mm -hmm knowing the direction, not the destination. And the framework has four different questions. One of them is what are you good at? So similar to that conversation, understanding what your strengths are, what you're naturally gifted at, because when you lean into those things, being productive becomes easy because we all like doing things that we're good at, right? It's not a lot of fun to do things that we're bad at. And if you leverage the things that you're naturally good at that you don't have to work hard at, it gets easy to be productive and to have more fun and like enjoy what you're doing. 
The second dimension is what are you passionate about? So what really lights you up and excites you? What interests you? What could you talk about for hours? I think that kind of ties into that dimension of meaning, like what actually feels meaningful for you. And that can be a lot of different things. And I would also say when you're answering these questions, don't limit yourself to like, especially as business owners, I think our minds immediately go to, what can I make money doing? (laughs) But this is just a whole life perspective. For me, I would definitely say plants and interior design and reading, even though I don't make money off those things. The third one is what does the world need? And I think this also ties into that dimension of meaning and wanting to make an impact, but also genuinely feeling like what you're doing is useful to somebody else, that you're actually making a difference. There's a lot of crappy things that you can get over. And even with your to-do list, I feel like the pattern that I recognize in myself and in other people is that the things that other people want us to get done, they -hmm. always get done. Like deadlines for clients or things that I'm doing for my husband or a party that I'm throwing for my friends, like those things always get done. It's the things that I do for myself that are harder. And so understanding like, who is that person that you really care about helping? And what is that need that you actually want to meet? And then the last one is what can you get paid for? And so that's the dimension of like turning your purpose into your career. And I think that could be paid or unpaid work. It's really just clarifying what value are you delivering? Because there's a lot of work that we do as women that is not paid that is also very purposeful. But that dimension is just asking and clarifying, like, what is that worth? Yeah. Yeah. I recently went through a process similar to this with a client where there was some parts of the job that she was in that she was like, I really don't dislike it. But at the same time, like, I think that I want something else, but I don't even know what that looks like. And I don't necessarily feel like I have to do what I've done before, but where do I fit? And so we even just broke down Mm -hmm. like, what are the parts of your day that you love? What are the parts of like your physical job description that you love? What are the parts of your schedule that you love? And then what's the opposite of that? And so we were able to take this totally different view of life and be able to be like, okay, well, the actual job description or what sector you're looking for jobs in actually doesn't matter as much as does the environment you're walking into like have these pillars and benchmarks. And it was like this whole light bulb moment of, oh, I didn't even know what I was looking for because I didn't even know what parts of my job or that my life or my schedule I really wanted. Mm -hmm. And so that was such a powerful exercise of like a light bulb moment of, oh, like there actually are so many more possibilities than I gave myself credit for when I was able to look at it in a different way other than, well, what am I qualified for based on these like specific benchmarks of my job description? Yeah, 100%. I think it's easy to fall into the pattern of thought that there are like these predetermined paths and that we can't create something that's unique to what we want, even within a job description. Obviously, you're hired and given this role of responsibilities, but there is still so much flexibility in making the job that you want while staying in the current job you're in. Like you don't have to go look for a dream job. There is so much control that you have to just tweak things and experiment and figure out what's working and not and how you can change it. Hey friend, thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I'm really excited to share an opportunity that I think you or someone you know will be very interested in. 
Gather and Growth is looking to collaborate with businesses and organizations that align with our mission of serving rural women who are passionate about personal and professional growth. We would love to partner together to elevate your brand by connecting it with the women who genuinely want to hear your message and support you. Sponsorship opportunities are available from everyone from small businesses to large corporations. So if you think you'd be a great fit, click on the link in today's show notes. So if someone's listening to this and feel like they're kind of really struggling with productivity, whether as a business owner or in career, what are some, like you said, like your to-do list, are you getting stuff done, but also the satisfaction in doing the things that they're meant to do? Like, how do they start that process of inventorying? Yeah, I always say that productivity starts with clarity. And in the busy world that we live in, I often think that we don't give enough time to that. And it truly is essential to being productive. You have to define what it actually looks like to be productive because the definition for you is going to be different than the definition for me. It doesn't matter what productive means for me because it is different for every single person. And so to take the time to really reflect and get clarity on what will it look like for me to live a productive life? And you can think about that in terms of three things, your time, how you spend your time, your focus, what you're focused on, and your energy, how you're managing your energy levels. And those are the three things that I would go to if you're really struggling to show up and keep your promises to yourself and actually do the things that you say you want to do. How are you managing your time? How are you managing your focus? And how are you managing your energy? And I would start with whatever one of those three things you think would make the biggest difference on how you show up day to day. And again, experiment, try things. The solution Mm -hmm. for every person is going to be a little bit different, but you have to take the time to assess where you're at and what's actually happening in your life before you can decide what you need to do to move in the direction that you want to head. Mm -hmm. And something that comes up on this topic in a lot of mastermind conversations is like, have you actually defined what success looks like? Or have you actually defined the benchmark? Because I think, especially as women and as people who are goal-oriented or who are dreamers or who can see the vision, we're like constantly reaching towards a target that's always Mm -hmm. moving. So it's really easy to get trapped in the cycle of I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing enough, I'm not being enough or whatever that story is when it's like in reality, have you defined what it means to, you know, have success in your business? Have you defined what it means to be a good mom or in whatever roles that you're in. Because if not, it's really easy to feel like the to-do list never ends and you're never going to reach the end of it. Yeah. And that's really hard to do. Even if you do sit down and define it for yourself, it's challenging to show up day to day and actually believe that, especially in the world where we live in, where comparison is so easy and we are constantly confronted with all of the things that our friends and social media friends have and what they're doing and what they're experiencing. And so some element I think, and why I think what you do is so powerful is that we need to surround ourselves with people who are actually holding us accountable to those things and reminding us of those things. It's one thing to write it down in your book and say, this is my definition of success. And it's a completely different thing to show up every day like you believe that's true. Mm. Okay. So on the topic of comparison and social media, this Mm -hmm. is something I think a lot of women are struggling with right now is, especially as business owners, you know, we are using social media to 
maybe out market our businesses or connect with clients, collect with potential clients, get our message out there. Even if we're not running a business, like so many women in this community are passionate about sharing their story or connecting with Mm -hmm. other people. And social media can be such a beautiful gift. It has brought incredible relationships into my life, incredible Mm -hmm. opportunities, but it also can be very all-consuming and draining and addicting and mm-hmm. can put us in such negative mindsets around not enoughness or feeling like we're falling behind. So what advice do you have for, gosh, I don't even know, like healthy boundaries <laughs> Like how to break up with the relationship, this obsessive relationship we have with social media mm-hmm. and our devices while also realistically understanding that a lot of us are using it for a purpose. Yeah. Big topic. Goodness <laughs> gracious. Like it's something I struggle with every day. And I think a lot of people listening will identify with that as well. Yeah. I would say virtually everybody listening struggles with this. And one thing that I want to touch on, you mentioned that social media can be good, but there's also a lot of negative side effects. And one thing that I like recognizing in all areas of life, but specifically with this topic, is the inherent existence of trade-offs. And I think that we live with the day-to-day belief that trade-offs don't exist, that if we choose to do one thing that we're not deciding not to do a million other things, or if we decide to do something that's good for us, that doesn't always mean that it doesn't also contribute something that's bad for us. And with social media, there's inherently a trade-off, whatever way you look at it. So there's a trade-off of like, okay, if you're scrolling all day, that's a really obvious trade-off of not doing quote unquote productive things or whatever else you'd be doing with that time. But there's also trade-offs on the other hand. Like if you stop scrolling social media or cut back, you will feel it and there will be Mm -hmm. some negative consequences to that. And I've experienced that as a business owner. I feel like if we go all the way back to the beginning, right before I went to grad school, I took my summer off. I quit my job early and spent my summer in South Africa on a missions trip and literally did not have access to the internet for six entire weeks. There was no Wi-Fi. There was no cell service. I didn't even get a phone plan because I was just like, it's not going to happen anyway. I'm not going to pay for it. And that was one of the most, I mean, for many other reasons, but that disconnection was one of the major reasons why I was able to be present that summer and fully experience and enjoy it. And coming back, it was really hard to use technology again. And that's when I started creating boundaries because I experienced all of the benefits that can come from disconnecting. And I'm sure a lot of people listening have experienced that on some level, whether they've left their phone at home for a day and been present wherever they went, or if they've tried a 24-hour detox or given up social media for a month or whatever that looks like. But that's where my journey began. And then this year earlier, I'm trying to do this year of less challenge where every month I do less of something in order to be more productive. And it's a series I'm doing on my podcast. And so I did a more intentional challenge of breaking up with my phone and being really clear on boundaries and coming back to the trade-offs. There were absolutely trade-offs with that. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to maintain that disconnection and the trade-offs still exist, mainly for me. I've noticed that I oftentimes feel guilty because I'm not able to engage with my followers or people who message me. I miss things that my clients post that they reference. I don't follow every social media post of my friends. So like when I see them in person, I'm like, oh, that happened. I had no idea, but everybody else seems to know. 
But that's a trade-off I'm willing to live with. And so I do think it comes back to clarity and deciding what do you want and what is the balance for you on what benefits do you want to get and what are you willing to give up to be on social media? For me, it's not much. I'm willing to take the trade-offs. Yeah. So from a really tactical perspective as a business owner, how are you or are you present on social media in a way that moves your business forward? Or if not, then like, what are the other things that you're doing to continue to drive business? Because again, going back to the comparison, we see other people, oh my gosh, they're, they're so present. They're doing this, like their business is growing. They're, you know, this, that, and the Mm -hmm. others. So from a very tactical level, what does this look like for you? Yeah. As a business owner specifically, I think it's important to know where your clients come from. And a lot of my clients may follow me on social media, but they hire me because they either know me personally or they know somebody who's worked with me before. And so that made me confident looking at the way that I get all of those clients is not because they follow me on social media. Mm-hmm. It's because they've either listened to my podcast and developed a lot deeper trust because that's I have a coaching business. And inherently, you have to trust somebody, especially as a business and productivity coach, because it can be kind of vulnerable sometimes. People cry on calls and it happens. And so that trust is not going to be built over 10 second Instagram reels where I'm like dancing or giving a three second process that they can implement, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I do think that social media plays an important role in connecting with people. There's nothing like DMing people or voice messaging people And I think it's a really helpful tool for people who do listen to my podcast. Sometimes they'll message me on Instagram. This happened with a lot of people last week on the episode I posted. I specifically said, like, DM me if you have questions about this. Happy to chat it through. And I did up voice messaging with people the whole next day who had questions. And so there is that role that it plays. I also think it's a great way to repurpose content if you have other marketing channels that you enjoy creating for. But I'll also say that, again, orienting your business based on what you're good at. I don't think it's bad. And a lot of a lot of business coaches would disagree with this. But I do not think it's bad to build a business on social media. If it's something that you truly enjoy, you mm-hmm. love doing, it comes easy for you, you're building a really engaged community. And you're able to bring that community into your email list or somewhere where you have a little bit more control. Because I think that's the only other thing that I would caution business owners about being on Instagram is that a lot of things can happen. A lot of business owners have lost their accounts. But ultimately, I don't think social media is bad. I think that you can use it in many positive ways, especially if it's something you're good at and love doing. Why not? Yeah. I don't know if I answered your question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think like anything, it's knowing what your intention is and Mm -hmm. like having a purpose for how you're spending your time, which is so much easier said than done. Like I can Mm -hmm. sit here and tell I'm blue in the face and be like, yeah, I want to show up in this really specific way and I want to use it in this specific way. And then I personally get really trapped in, oh my gosh, I only have... 20 or 30 or 40 minutes before the next call, I'm overwhelmed and I don't know what task to even tackle in that period of time. I'm just going to open my Instagram by default. And then all of a sudden, 37 of those minutes have gone by to the abyss of Mm -hmm. scrolling. But at the same time, social media is how I connect with my community. And that's where I'm having really good, meaningful conversations. And that's where you know, a lot of people are being seen and heard and understood. And so 
you know, I think a lot of it comes back to awareness, but also mm-hmm. just the reality that it is literally designed to, it's like a dopamine slot machine. Yeah. And I feel like we're mostly talking about Instagram. I'm not on any other social media. Instagram is the number one. And Mm -hmm. what's funny is that the desktop app is not designed to be as addictive. And so for me, if I am checking messages, I try to do it on the desktop. And Mm -hmm. one hack, maybe people who've tried to spend less time on social media have set up like the app limits where Mm -hmm. after 30 minutes, it'll say, hey, you've reached your limit for the day. And you just say, okay, open it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And so one thing that I found really helpful is this app called One Sec. And basically all it does is delay opening Instagram for six seconds, which you would Mm -hmm. not think would be enough to prevent you from opening the app. But when you're staring at the screen for six seconds, it feels like an eternity. And the statistics they show is that it decreases social media usage by 57%. And so that's one thing that I installed this March because that was definitely me when I hit my 30 minutes a day. I would just be like, I have to use this. I'm going to open it anyway. And that prevented me from opening the app on my phone because I didn't want to wait six seconds. And I would use my desktop instead. And when I use the desktop, it's a lot easier to go in and respond to messages mm-hmm. and not scroll reel- reels or click on stories or scroll my feed because the desktop app is not very addicting. It kind of sucks. It really does. (laughs) I actually do the same thing because I can just type so much faster on my desktop. So Mm -hmm. I respond to a lot of messages on desktop, but then someone will like send a picture or a video and it's like, this does not support that. So then I end up opening the app The other thing is batching. And so if you are a business owner who has to use it every single day, could you designate like this is the time of day where I check messages Mm -hmm. and respond. And then you're using that time to intentionally check messages and engage with your community rather than consuming other people's content or getting caught up in things that maybe you don't Mm -hmm. want to be doing on the app. And then we kind of got into this, but I think it's also important to be aware of how much time you're spending on social media. And I don't know about Androids, but on iPhones, it's really easy to go in and look on your screen time, how much time you're spending on your phone, but also on social media and what your most addictive apps are. And Mm -hmm. I think for for someone who's never checked that, it might be very surprising and depressing Mm -hmm. because Americans spend a lot of time on social media. And I think it's a matter of asking yourself, do I want to spend three hours a day scrolling TikTok or Instagram? Mm -hmm. Or do I want to spend my time differently? And that's what productivity is measured by. Like, what are your goals and how do you want to spend your time? And being Mm -hmm. honest with yourself, because I would guess that most people are not like, you know what? I really want to scroll TikTok three hours a day. This is the life that I I live. This is the life I love. It makes me so happy. Because social media... There's a lot of scary research about the effects of social media. And now I'm on like a soapbox, but depression rates, especially for young kids and teenagers, but for adults too, going back to the comparison thing, it changes the way that your brain operates. It trains you to want instant gratification And as a business owner. Pursuing goals and building a business is such a long-term game. And Mm -hmm. to do yourself the disservice of training your brain to crave instant gratification I mean, in any area of life, but specifically as a business owner, it's just so unhelpful for what I would guess most people's goals are in business or in life. And so being aware of how much time you're spending, but also what it's actually doing to you. Yeah. Well, and then on top of that, you're 
you know, following all these other accounts that inspire you or maybe in your line of work and that you Mm -hmm. collaborate with. And then people are posting 30 to 90 second clips that make all of their success and goals look so effortless. So then it Mm -hmm. like puts you in this deeper shame spiral of, oh gosh, it came so easy for me. What am I doing wrong? And so it like magnifies that imposter syndrome and that these stories around our ability to bring our goals and dreams to life. And I'm speaking from very personal experience here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure all of us have something that we could talk about, a story that we could tell along those very same lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had a thought recently on this is like, five years from now, am I going to look back and be like, man, I'm so pumped for all of the hours I scrolled Instagram reels. Like, no. And not to say that it like, there's a time and a place for it, but like, am I going to be so excited and proud that like, that's how I spent the hours. And here we are being like, oh, I can't get through my to-do list. I never have enough time. Well, even maybe if I wasn't scrolling reels, if I was like outside on a walk, like that's going to feel a lot better. And I'm still getting equally as many things crossed off my to-do list. Yeah. Which which leads me to another thing I would love for you to talk through. I know that there's an exercise you do with a lot of your clients about like building out your ideal week. And this is Mm -hmm. especially applicable to entrepreneurs. But, you know, I think about even like stay-at-home moms who all of a sudden have this this time that they're trying to manage, or even, you know, women who are in careers that are outside of the home, who are trying to figure out how to fit all the things in there. Can you give us like an overview of how someone could go through an exercise like this of really building out what their ideal week looks like? Yes. So I have four categories in general that I go through when helping people build out their ideal weeks. And I have helped a stay-at-home mom build an ideal week too. So this does not only apply to business owners, but the first one is personal health. So all the things you want to do on a weekly basis to take care of yourself. The second is relationships. And this changes as your family schedule changes season to season. But the second thing is building in that time to connect with the people that matter most to you. The third one is home, home management, because there is a lot of time that's taken up by unpaid work. And also, if you're not able to make time for those things, they end up negatively impacting all of these other areas. And then the fourth one uh, for my clients is business. It could be a career or like the purpose category, what you're doing, if it's volunteer work or whatever that is. But those are the four categories that I go through. And then it's a matter of breaking down what are all the things that you're responsible for and need to make time for within each of those categories. And so I have this template spreadsheet that I take people through that kind of has checklists for all of the basic tasks or the basic areas that they might want to think about, like for home meals and laundry and cleaning and estimating how much time those things take them and what is good enough for them. Because for everyone, it looks a little bit different. Some people have more help than others. And so it's kind of a methodical way to go through those important areas and figure out how do you actually want to spend your week. And I like saying that a productive week equals a productive life because the only time that you have control over is today. Like you can't manage what you're doing a month from now. Things might change. And so if you want to be productive, it does have to start this week and with doing the things that you actually want to do. The other thing, I think a lot of people have negative connotations when it comes to time management or any sort of schedule at all. A lot of entrepreneurs too, because they're like, I quit my job to not have a schedule. What do you mean create another schedule for myself? 
Mm-hmm. And I like this quote. I think it was Dallas Willard who said that if a discipline is not creating freedom, then it's not something worth doing. I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. that, but I think there's a negative connotation that comes with the discipline of sticking to a schedule. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, your schedule is meant to create the freedom in your life that you're ultimately desiring. And I would doubt that somebody whose life is chaotic, they have no schedule, they have no control over their time, they're always behind on things, they're never making time for the things that they like. I doubt that that feels like freedom, even though developing the discipline to do laundry or to show up and do business tasks that are not the most fun for you, it doesn't feel like freedom in the moment, but ultimately, if we're thinking long-term, does provide the productivity and like the goal orientation that you want ultimately. So again, it's kind of like fighting instant gratification. It's not what do you want now, but what do you want most? And how Mm. do you plan your schedule so that those things become automatic, not something that takes extreme effort for you to get done every single week? Mm. That's so good. And I think about even with our kids, there is so much safety and like the predictability of boundaries and routine and expectations. But I love that you even bring up what that looks like as entrepreneurs. I've never thought about it in that specific way is like, okay, we want the freedom, but then sometimes that freedom can almost be paralyzing of like, well, how do I spend my time? How do I optimize my time? I've gone through exercises kind of like this with some of my clients is like, let's just even map out when you're going to go grocery shopping, when the laundry is going to get done, when you're going to go on a walk. And, you know, it doesn't all have to be work when we're talking about mapping out what a day or what a week looks like. Like, let's make sure that all of the things that you want and need to do fit into this so that there's some predictability and you don't always have in the back of your mind, like the weight of the to-do list. It's like, I don't have to worry Mm -hmm. about groceries because I know I'm going to do it on Thursday afternoon because that's when it fits. And I don't have to Mm -hmm. stress about the pile of laundry because I've already allotted, you know, this time or this time in my week for when I'm going to tackle that. So it like removes some of that mental weight that otherwise, especially as women, we carry around Mm -hmm. all of these expectations of places that we need to show up. Yeah. And I love that you touched on, we have too much to do because I think that's another helpful thing of looking at everything in one place. A lot of people that I work with realize, oh, this literally doesn't fit into a weekly schedule, but I feel like a failure every week when I'm not able to do it. Yes. Surprised. <laughs> like, who would have guessed? Yeah. Yeah. We're Again, going back to like holding ourselves to an undefined, immeasurable, unrealistic standard. It's like mm-hmm. you're constantly going to feel like you're not productive enough or not doing enough or not successful enough or not whatever enough, if the amount of things that you're holding yourself to, a human person actually cannot do in the amount of time that you have to do. Yeah, 100%. But I also understand that there are some seasons where it might not make sense for people to be like, you know what, I'm just going to overhaul my entire schedule and next week it's going to be completely organized. And so if somebody is listening and wants just a small way to start doing that, I think it's really powerful to just look at your daily to-do list. And instead of having this long list, deciding how much time each of those tasks is going to take you and deciding what time of the day you're going to work on each of those tasks. And if you start with daily time blocking, maybe not having your entire week scheduled out in blocks of focus areas, but starting with your to-do list today or even this afternoon, how much time do those tasks take and start setting realistic expectations for this afternoon. 
and then for tomorrow. And then maybe when you get better at it, you'll feel better about setting intentions for an entire week. But it definitely takes practice. And so don't assume that you're going to create your ideal week and then instantly overnight, your whole life is going to change and you're an ultimate time management expert. It takes time and it takes practice and life is constantly changing. So just because you don't show up and do it 100% like you planned it out at the beginning of the week does not mean that you weren't successful or that it wasn't helpful. And so going back to measuring your success, did you manage your time better than you did last week? Are you getting better at managing your time gradually? Then keep doing it and keep trying and keep experimenting and changing things until you find what actually works for you. But don't give up on it if after one week you feel like you didn't show up each day and do it completely according to plan because it's not going to happen. I can tell you from experience. Yes. This reminds me of so much of a conversation we have around the UDU 82 habit challenge is Mm. a lot of times the intentions that you set maybe were misaligned in the first place and you don't know that until you get into the thick of it. And maybe you get a few days or a few weeks in and it's not working. And it's like, well, where is that resistance coming from? Is it because it's totally Mm. misaligned in the first place? Is it because there aren't systems in place to support it? Or is it because it's not exactly what you actually need? And how do we make micro shifts to get closer to what's actually serving you? And, you know, not only what sounds good, but what feels good and what's actually driving you closer to where you want to be in the way that's meeting you where you're at in this season. Yeah, I think it can be easy to build your schedule on what you think your time should look like or what you think your schedule should look like versus what you actually want your schedule to look like. And it's important to know that going in, that this is an exercise meant to help you live your life the way that you want to live it and prioritize the things that you want to prioritize, not this little box that you're trying to shove yourself in so that you can get as much done as possible on a weekly basis. Right. Which goes back to the, you know, what we were talking about in the beginning of this conversation is just because it's on your to-do list or you feel like you should be doing it, is it actually worth your time? And Mm -hmm. is it, you know, what role does it play in your life or your business or your career or your roles overall? So anyway, it's just a constant evolution and process of getting to know yourself and trust yourself and guide along the journey. And one thing that I like doing is a weekly review checklist because I think that as easy as it is to go years without reflecting on what's happening in your life or whether you like your business or your career or not, I think it's also helpful to do smaller check-ins on a weekly basis on what's working and not working. And I have a free checklist that I can definitely link in the show notes for business owners specifically. I think that anyone could take this and adapt it to their career, other areas of your life. But just checking in with yourself, taking a short amount of time each week to ask yourself what's working and what's not and commit Mm -hmm. to making small improvements because it's very easy to fall into the all or nothing mindset. I'm either Mm going to do this 100% and be the best at it, or I'm not even going to bother trying. And ultimately (laughs) that's not sustainable and it's not helpful. Like you're never going to get anywhere unless you take one small step in the right direction. And so it's a small discipline and it is very helpful in terms of building a productive schedule. Mm, I love that so much. Okay, Jade, question I ask everyone on the podcast, what does personal growth mean to you in this season? In this season, personal growth looks like asking for more help. 
it's something that I've been really challenged by over the last six months, both in hiring people in my business, but also in my personal life, being willing to admit when I don't know what I don't know and I need help. It's always been difficult for me. And it was something that was pointed out by a friend of mine when we had lunch earlier this summer. And she really challenged me to ask for help in a a couple of specific areas, which have been huge in my personal growth journey, but also in my growth as a business owner. And yeah, that's what it looks like for me in this season. Mm. Isn't it a beautiful and hard realization that we just can't do it all? Yeah, it is very hard, especially for an Enneagram one perfectionist like me (laughs) asking for help. Oftentimes seems like it's going to be the least productive way for me to get things done, but it's not sustainable. And I'm going to cap my growth if I can't ask other people for help because I can't get where I want to go on my own. It's very humbling, but also very, I don't know what the word is. It's, it's peaceful. Like it feels a lot better to be operating, even if I'm dependent on other people to know that there's other people on my team who know what's happening in my business and are able to step in and do things that I can't always get to. It is stressful at first and it can be a lot of work at first, but ultimately I'm starting to turn the curve where it's actually becoming a good thing and feeling a lot better. It's been a growth journey. Yeah. Well, and asking for help can look so many different ways, whether it is like actual outsourcing in your business, whether it's renegotiating or re-delegating tasks in the workplace, or whether it is relying on your kids or spouse to do things differently than how your house has been running up until this point, Mm -hmm. being okay with them actually doing it differently than you would. I feel like that's a journey I've really leaned into over the past year or so as well Is like, I actually don't have to do this all by myself and I'm going to feel better about it with help, especially with the things that I don't want to spend my time doing. Being able to admit that. Yeah. I think Caleb and I have been really lucky that the things that I hate doing, he doesn't mind doing and vice versa. And so I felt very grateful. He does all of the dishes, which is my absolute least favorite thing to do in the world. But I love doing laundry. I think it's very soothing. like organize everything and hang everything up. He absolutely hates it. And so I think from a house management perspective, like I said, we're DIY home renovators. And the hardest thing for us has been figuring out how the heck to get these projects done in our house, because we have had the most terrible luck with hiring contractors. We've reached so many low points where it's like, we will pay anything. And then someone just like literally won't show up. We're willing to throw money at you and nobody will help us. So there's also frustrating situations like that where even when you're open to receiving help, the reality of it is that sometimes it's hard to get. I think a lot of moms face that with childcare too. Like even Mm -hmm. if you're willing to pay for it and ready to send your Mm -hmm. kids to like daycare or get a nanny or whatever that looks like, some help is just really hard to find. So I think that that's another struggle that Mm -hmm. in my future, I see myself overcoming no kids yet, but yeah. 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 It's a real, it's a real thing. And yeah, wanting the help, being able to ask for it and then struggling to not find what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. For sure. So someone is listening to this conversation and wants to connect more deeply with you on social media or off social media. How can we get into the world of Jade? 
I think the best place to go is probably my podcast. My podcast is called The Business Minimalist, which I didn't even get into. I would call myself minimalish, but minimalist principles definitely drive my view of productivity. That's where you can get the deepest content, but I do respond to my Instagram messages as well. So happy to connect with anybody on Instagram over there too. And I do have repurposed content there. So if you love a good Instagram scroll, there's definitely (laughs) stuff there waiting for you too. There's lots of good stuff there. I was just listening to your podcast on my walk this morning oh, yeah? with, with Jada on the topic of productivity and women's health and how that goes into cycle syncing. And that's a conversation that is for sure going to have to happen on this podcast because it is fascinating. It was one of my favorite episodes so far. I've been telling everybody about it ever since we had that conversation. <laughs> so good to start for anyone who wants to check it out. It is just so fascinating to start to understand something that so few of us like understand deeply. About our own bodies. Yeah, and how that impacts literally everything. So stay tuned for that. Anyway, Jade, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you. Thank you. This was fun. Have I told you today how much I appreciate you? I'd like to imagine this was a meaningful backyard patio kind of chat between friends sipping LaCroix at sunset. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a screenshot to share or forward this episode to a friend. You can also find me at Emily Rushel over on social to continue the conversation. It's truly a joy to hear what tidbits and takeaways made an impact on your day. As always, all links and resources mentioned in today's episode can be found in the show notes listed below or over at emilyrushell.com. Special thanks to my podcast manager, Jill Carr, for the time and love she puts into producing Gathering Growth for this community. What a blessing it is to be on this personal growth journey together. Forever grateful for you.